WBNE. Hello from elsewhere, I'm Casey. And I'm Valerie, and welcome to the podcast where we explore characters, themes, and symbolism in pop culture. This episode comes to you from on board the NSEA Protector in the Klaatu Nebula. Because today we're talking about actors playing actors, but nobody knows they're actors. Electric delivery there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's such a. It's going to be a long title, but I love long titles. Long, it's, it's my favorite about title. Long titles are our, yeah. our favorites. We had a whole episode on long titles. But that was a bonus beeps. So oh. if you want to listen to our bonus episodes, head to Patreon.com/slash Hello from Elsewhere. Yep. I have an all-important question before we talk about actors playing actors, but nobody knows they're actors. All-important question about actors. This one was submitted by two not people. an actor. Mm, no. Well. Casey's always acting, but um, <laughs> Casey and Allie, Casey's not really always acting. Casey and Allie both said the same question, so we figured it'd be a good one. What actor would play you in the story of your life? And we're adding the stipulation that time doesn't matter. So you can pick someone that's a lot older than you, someone that's not alive anymore. Like if, Valerie, if you want Gregory Peck to play you, go for it. <laughs> as much as I appreciate Gregory Peck's abilities to act, I think I would go with Mandy Moore. I think she's got some great acting skills, and I have been told that I look like her, which is, I mean, huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know that it's entirely true, but I've been told that by more than one person. So I think we look enough alike. She's only six years older than me, and we're like similar heights, too. I think it would work out pretty well. Um, before I give my serious... But oh, here's the one thing. What? What a boring role to play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, then, then here's this. Can we talk about this? <laughs> so, so in this story of your life, set set the stage. Is this, a, is this a from cradle to the grave type of biopic? Or is this a snapshot of one portion of your life? What would make a good Valerie Winters I think it would Winters be a movie? snapshot of one portion of my life. What, what portion? one portion... Would be movie worthy. Um, as your arranger in the wilds of New Mexico, maybe. That would have been pretty good. Yeah. Breaking down stereotypes. Only you were like hunting bears. <laughs> I was chasing bears off. <laughs> Same different. thing. I'm not killing anything. Um, breaking gender stereotypes. I was one of like seven rangers out of like 200 that were females. So There you go. I should refer this one of seven female rangers out of like 200 total female or I, total rangers. I think in the biopic, it would probably be a little more dramatic. Like the bears right. would be like you Over would be in battle camp. with the yeah. bear, like <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson, Robert Redford style. And there would be far more, you know, sexism or whatever, because they were really great about it. They mm. wanted more female rangers. They were always trying to get more female rangers. It was always a little surprising to the scouts who came in. They're like oh, there are female rangers. <laughs> but it was good for them. They were all very nice. I think you'd also come across in the woods like some um, jamboree band, you know, some banjos, maybe some jaw harps that, you know, some really backwoods music that you just like... All things exist at Philmont, Casey. <laughs> I know, that's why I said it. I was just setting you up for it. <laughs> you would come through the woods and all of a sudden the music would just hit you and hit the audience. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. But you wouldn't play. You would just watch. I know. Exactly. How exciting. I bet you could play like a washboard. Sing along. Or this is Mandy Moore. She can oh, make me appear like okay. I have a really good voice. So it's a musical. 
<laughs> there we go. Now we're talking a Mandy Moore Boy Scout Ranger musical. I would watch that. I'd watch Casey. that. Yeah. yeah. I'm done. One hundred percent. Now we figured it out. This will be a way cooler version of my life. Okay. Mine would probably be a lot more pretentious. We'll get there. So my you said Mandy Moore, so I'm gonna say Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Actually, Manny Patinkin, he's got the dark eyebrows, mm-hmm. dark hair. So he's uh, um, Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. He looks like me a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so actually it kind of works, but that was not really my serious answer. <laughs> Although I wouldn't mind if Mandy Patinkin played me, <laughs> a future me, because he's a lot older than I am. But Okay, so what would he play a future you? What piece of your life? Is this when you go to Mars? Yes, but it's actually a stage play. It's not a movie. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. because um, it's like very... Uh, it's very aware that there's an audience watching, like Truman Show, Breaking the Fourth Wall. Oh, okay. He's a solipsist. So he, think, he thinks everyone's watching and he's the center of everything because that's what's going to happen to me in the future. When I go to Mars, everyone's going to be watching. You'll so, be the center of mm-hmm. everything? Yeah. Okay. But it's a stage play, not a movie. <laughs> no, my my real answer would probably be uh, Jay Baruchel. I haven't really seen a lot of his movies, but he's Windows and Fanboys. Can't think. He's tall I can, like, and vaguely think lanky, of what he dark looks hair, like. and wears glasses in that movie. And so I look a lot like him in that movie. I don't know if Jay Baruchel can grow a beard. I'm sure he can. Like, there's a picture right here with him, a very nice beard. Really? Can, see, yeah. can I see it? Oh yeah, there you go. See, I kind of look like Jay Baruchel. But if you look him up in Fanboys, he's got the glasses. So combine that picture of him with the scruff, <laughs> but wearing glasses, and that was me. And actually, my life might be a little bit like Fanboys, all nerdy Star nonsense Wars all the time. Yeah, pretty much. Do you battle people who like Star Trek? No. In fact, we'll talk about Star Trek today. I like Star Trek. I'm a casual fan of it, at least. Yeah, we've watched some. I've seen the Trebles. Well, yeah. And I know I've, that I've reference. seen all the movies. Um, yeah, I liked the new movies. Yeah, I like the old movies. I don't know if I've seen all of the old movies. Okay, we definitely watched that one. <laughs> that was longer than William Shatner's delivery. Okay, we, I've definitely seen that one. I just don't think I've seen all of the old Star Trek movies. I mean, how can you forget the earworm things? Oh, yeah. They're the worst. They gave me nightmares as a kid. I didn't see them till as an adult, did they give you? Ear- did they give you nightmares? No. Well, today we're talking about actors playing actors, but nobody in the movie knows they're actors. Exactly. So we're spe- specifically looking at Three Amigos from 1986, A Bug's Life from 1998, and Galaxy Quest from 1999. You just want to save your favorite for last. I have the most to talk about Galaxy Quest, and so it's, so yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wasn't that your favorite as we rewatched these? Yes, although I really like Three Amigos. Really? Yeah. I like it less every time I watch it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we'll get into that. But first, I wanted to talk about, can we talk about Seven Samurai for a second? Yes. What does this have to do with anything? <laughs> Everything. Oh, Seven okay. Samurai is like the root of this. So Seven Samurai came out in 1954, black and white Japanese samurai film. But you've never seen it. No, but I know, I know what it is. It's like a, a cultural touchstone. I haven't seen it, but right, I understand it. Right, I keep it's... saying we should watch The Magnificent Seven and you say you can't until you watch Seven right. Samurai. It's the only reason, I don't know why it's, it's three hours, three and a half hours long. That's the only thing. So I know I'm going to have to break it up. And I like long movies, but I just... It's just a matter of timing. So Seven Samurai, the mm-hmm. story is... I've never... Do I Do I want to know? No, just the, the opening premise, basically. Spoil it for There's me. a village that's being terrorized by these bandits. And uh. the village is trying to decide, hey, do we want to keep giving them what they want? 
like food and such, or do we want to fight them back? And they decide that they're going to go look for some warriors to help protect their village. And so they find seven samurai to protect the village. The, the These samurai are real. They're masterless samurai, which is, so they're ronins. Uh, they're not actors, but this is important because we'll see. But six years later, they came out with Magnificent Seven, which is seven samurai, but set in the Western um, genre. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from that little synopsis you can see where the things we're talking about today get get their inspiration from definitely and it kind of starts with three amigos where they're taking this seven samurai idea and this magnificent seven idea of there's a village being terrorized by this group of bandits and they need help so they go to seek the help of warriors but the comedic twist is they didn't actually find real warriors right that's the premise for all three movies we're talking about today really all three in a way yeah yeah um especially yeah so three amigos is it's it's directly related to magnificent seven being set in that western tradition and then galaxy quest is basically three amigos in space and that's kind of reducing it because i think it's a lot more than that but first three amigos so you liked it a lot more this time i liked it the first time too it just been a while since i had seen it yeah i mean there's definitely some problematic things like a lot of whitewashing yeah it's very like for the fact that they're the three amigos but they're all terribly white and they're dressed as um they're just like mariachi band band, almost and um yeah there's a lot of whitewashing it's just very a lot of 80s comedies have not aged well and this definitely falls victim to the same things that a lot of 80s comedies fall victim to which is a lot of things feel gross now yeah. from from a 21st century perspective there's definitely funny stuff in it but i i like it less the more i watch it which is this is one i grew up on this um, is one i didn't see till after we were married yeah three amigos was a, a comedic staple in my house and i still think a lot of the jokes land and i like the singing and it's a lot of what fun, else do, well, what, okay well, what else do we like about it because there is definitely good stuff about it the storyline's a lot of fun. There's a great, like, as far as, because they're actors, but they're definitely very full of themselves. Like, it's fun to watch them go through the transition of being incredibly, like, self-absorbed to shifting uh, to see the value in serving or helping other people, even yeah. without anything for themselves. Mm-hmm. So let, maybe let's give a, a brief summary. So the film starts with it's in 1916 in Mexico, and there's a woman and her little brother, I guess it's her brother, mm-hmm. that they go watch a silent film. It's The Three Amigos, and it's Chevy Chase and Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short, and they're fighting off these bandits on the film, on the, in the silent film. And the premise is, film is such a new medium, and so these people don't, she doesn't realize that it's not a documentary, it's not real life, it's fiction. She thinks that this is a film describing these great warriors that are saving these other villagers. And they're like, hey, our village is in trouble from these bandits. So we're going to send a telegram to the Amigos and they're going to come save us and protect us. And meanwhile, the, the three Amigos are getting fired from their, um, their acting job because they asked for too much money. And they're sort of down on their luck immediately at the point where they receive this telegram. And from their perspective, they think, oh, is, this is just an acting job because of the way the telegram is worded. Which is a funny scene because she states it mm. all very clearly, but then it'll cost too much to send the telegram. So the guy is, you know, what do you call him? Telegram master? <laughs> I don't know. Telegramarian. That's what I'm going to call him. <laughs> Postmaster general. Who knows? He has. He's like, 
okay, I'll give you the, you know, the five peso version or however much money yeah. they had. And so he shortens it and abbreviates it a lot. And so yeah. it becomes less clear. Yeah. And so the, the three amigos think, oh, this is an acting job right when we need one because we just got fired from the big studio. And so they travel to Mexico and comedy ensues from this misunderstanding of they think that they're having an acting job and the villagers think that the villagers think that these are great warriors here to save them from the banditos i think one of my favorite moments that i find super comedic Mm -hmm. is when the banditos come to the town and they're supposed to and the three amigos think they're putting on a big show Mm -hmm. and so they're shooting their pistols into the air and they're all blanks yeah and then all of a sudden the the bandits are like obviously directing fire at them <laughs> and so is it, is it lucky day no which one is he i is think lucky day is steve martin steve yeah. martin okay um so steve martin's character lucky day is grazed on his arm with an actual bullet and he gets like so upset at this bandit he's like give me your gun and he like walks over and takes it and he's like look you're not shooting blanks what's wrong with you shooting like it's real bullets <laughs> And I think that's the moment. When and that's they... what starts to click. He's like, wait, <laughs> something's off here. <laughs> so this big show that they think they're doing is now a problem. Yeah. And that's like the, the, I'm, I'm really interested in the structure and how these three movies structure the, the, the point of them realizing that they're not acting, that this is real. And uh, in Three Amigos, it happens right at the halfway point. So the whole first half of the movie they think they're acting and that they're here for a big show. Um, they even, at, at one point in the the cantina, they're singing a song for all the people because they think that they're there to entertain them. And all the people in the cantina are afraid because they think these are the scary Germans that are here to help the bandits. And um, so there's a lot of miscommunication happening. And that's where all the comedy is coming from. But yeah, it's right at the halfway point uh, where they realize that they are in the, you know, that they're, that this is real and they're in real danger. And what's interesting about Three Amigos is they don't play up any drama with, um, with the reveal that they're, yeah, actors. well, and that like they don't hold on to that information. They realize that at the same point that the villagers are realizing the same thing, that it's all been a big miscommunication. Yes, in this movie, they're quick to say, whoa, we're actors. We thought we were doing a show. This yeah. isn't what we signed up for. Because actors, Casey, <laughs> at least these guys, they're not naturally altruistic, you know? Yeah. They're not, like, really here to sacrifice themselves for anybody. So they're... Except for Ned, maybe. Quick. I know, Ned's... <laughs> Martin Short is... Because <laughs> there's that scene where they're all deciding what they're going to do with the pesos that the villagers are going to give them. And... Uh, Steve Martin and Chevy Chase are like, oh, we're going to get a Buy nice a car. car, visit Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, Ned, Martin Short's character, is like, I'm going to start a... A charity this? for underprivileged, underprivileged children, children or something, something like, like that. that yeah. <laughs> and the other two are like, oh, yeah, we're going to do our thing after we do that, too. Yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> His character is my favorite because at the beginning he seems, I don't know, almost the most naive of them all. But he's definitely the one who has... A golden heart yeah and he wants to help the people and he is one who kind of decides to stay and that's so funny because like lucky day is set up as being the one who gives like the best speeches but he's actually kind of bumbling like in the movies mm, yeah but then he's kind of bumbling in real life like his speeches mm. are roundabout and they make no sense but ned can say something that's really yeah you know rallies the troops kind of thing and then he's like the sharpshooter 
And he's also the one that's most recognizable because when the Nazis come, Casey, as they do in I don't they're Nazis, yeah. They're definitely Germans. <laughs> well, the Germans, yeah. So the Germans. But yeah, so when they show up and Ned is recognizable from his young, like, childhood acting days. And so he's been in the movie business for a long time and he's, like, internationally known. Yeah. So he's actually the, the biggest star of them all. Well, I like a lot of comedy, comedy from the movie comes from that of he's really the same age as steve martin and chevy chase but because he's like shorter they treat him like the child of the group yes like the logic of it doesn't really make sense and (laughs) so that's funny (laughs) one thing we noticed as we were watching is the movie is very much how you call it just it's a straightforward film it's comedic but it's realistic but it's realistic yes but then there's this turning point once they decide to not act like actors is when the movie becomes more movie like it becomes a fantasy it becomes a yeah. yeah like a fantasy almost like it there's a really funny scene in the in out in the desert and all of a sudden there's like a talking tortoise off to the side and all the animals start singing like the animals Disney start movie. singing along yeah. and it's just like a really random shift because up to that point you're like it's been very much a real you know a yeah. realistic take on this mm-hmm. sort of you know right as much as any movie can be but yeah after that i get some funny bits throughout like the invisible swordsman. Well, I like what you touched on when we were watching that, like they've decided, yeah, they've decided to play their true character, their characters from that point. They're going to be their characters and try to save the day. Mm-hmm. And so then the film becomes, becomes a fantasy. It becomes the movie. You're right. It becomes more movie-like yeah. after they decide that they're... Which is not something I'd ever, ever realized. And so I love that. I love that idea. Thank you. <laughs> something else you talked about when we were watching was the bat that they eat it's bacon is it a I bit want, of trivia yeah. i always wonder when they have to eat something weird on set yeah. or something that looks weird on set i'm like i wonder what they're actually yeah, eating so the bacon the bat wings are just bacon that's made, not so bad made to i guess cut to look like bat wings i guess i think you get like a bacon slab instead of strips uh-huh and you could like cut it yeah i mean i mean it's just thin little the wings look like bacon already so true Except they are really dark, so I wonder if they... Overcooked them? They're burnt, burnt bacon, or if they colored them. Maybe. Some edible food that's, coloring on there. That's one of my favorite lines is... Uh, Can say, I have how, your bat How do you like your bat, Dusty? Yeah. Medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> like they're out in the, the desert. They're not precision cooking this bat. And so yeah, when you're roasting over a fire, Casey and I can barely get our meat on the grill to be exactly how we want. Let alone in the Mexican desert. Yes. (laughs) I don't know how he does that. It's a talent of his, I guess. Another one of my favorite lines is, are you the singing bush? So so as the movie goes into this slightly more fan fantasy mode, they're supposed to they have this book of like instructions of where they're supposed to go to get to the bandits place, which is really ridiculous like right they're like directions from the village it's like you need to go to the singing bush and then say the magic chant and then the invisible swordman swordsman will appear and tell you where you need to go and so they find what's clearly the singing bush it's a bush that's singing right how many of those would there be and the and he's like are you the singing bush and he says it multiple times like right because the bush is just singing it's not going to it's not going to (laughs) answer which that the voice of the singing bush is randy newman the composer well then who's also one of the writers on this movie like interesting not just composing but one of the story writers on the film which is yeah i think it's his only one i really like the song they sing in the desert i mean it's oh yeah blue shadows blue shadows it's a good but one. all three of them have great voices right. <laughs> something i like that always gets me is that comedians have 
really great voices. Like they can all sing too. Like you pointed out, you're like, well, they they have a talent for mimicking things, so they can at least mimic a good singing voice, which yeah. is I think one and the same. But like more fun because they can mimic many different styles of singing. Right. This is a little more folksy, country like. Yeah. Um, my question for you is, how many climaxes in film do you know of that are won by sewing? Yeah, and super speedy sewing <laughs> saves the day. <laughs> Maybe that's why you love the movie so much. There we go. Sewing, sewing brought victory. So at the end, to save the day, and they rally the villagers to stand up for themselves, yeah. which is a good point that happens in all three films. Yeah. Uh, and But the, the way they save the day is they sew a bunch of costumes so that everybody looks like a three amigo so it seems like three amigos are everywhere in the village and they keep popping out and shooting but the best part is that every one of these shots is clearly one of the three main (laughs) actors like there are no villagers in their suits it's like clearly they shoot the movie yeah as if the actors are just appearing all over the place yes Um, (laughs) which is just great instead of hiding the villagers behind a big sombrero and their suits and pretending it's them it's like no it's clearly one of the main actors but then all the villagers come out and they're all wearing the amigo garb yeah Yeah. (laughs) so funny i do think it is a bit of like the white savior trope a little bit i do appreciate that there's a little bit of them empowering actually amigos that's true i do appreciate they do they are kind of empowering the villagers a little bit but yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's quite a few problematic things with the movie. Yeah, definitely whitewashing, white saviorism. Yeah, definitely some of the gender stuff. And there's some harassment in the movie, too. And yeah, there's some gross stuff. Ready to move on to Bug's Life? Let's talk about Bug's Life. A Bug's Life. A single Bug's Life is not very long. This is a lot to happen in one Bug's Life. True. But how long is the life of an ant? What's the lifespan I don't know. of an look ant? While well, you look it up, so... Again, this is a this one's even more reminiscent of Seven Samurai. Clearly, an homage to it with the the grasshoppers coming in demanding food. The villagers, or the villagers that are the ants, and they decide not seriously, but they send Flick off to find some warriors, mostly just to get him out of the way because he's the one that's causing all the problems. And so he goes what? to what they live way longer than I would have thought. 500 years like Depends a turtle. Depends upon the species of ant. But a general black garden ant um, tend to live about 2 to 3 years. What about a bluish purple ant with four arms? That I four don't legs. Know. But then they're like, a fire ant worker only lives about five weeks. So really depends upon which species, which, uh, not species, which type of ant. Genus, I don't know. <laughs> what's the, what's It's probably the a different word? species of ant. Um, no, the, the arm, the leg thing didn't bug me as a kid, but it bugged me this time. I was like, why do the ants have four legs? But the, the grasshoppers, grasshoppers have six. six. I guess Pixar, they thought it was a little bit six. more human to obviously to give them the same number of limbs as a typical human. And so it made the grasshoppers a little more alien. So children could relate to them more as exactly. the heroes. A little more accessible. But, um, as I was saying, so Flick, he's been sent from, from his colony because they want to get him out of the way. And he comes across some circus performers, but he sees them right at the point where they're putting on a show in like the bar um, and attacking these flies. And then the flies die by accident because they roll around in the giant tin can. But from Flick's perspective, he's like, I just found this troop of, I don't know how many there are, six of them, seven of them, of these great warriors. And they've just been just like the three amigos. 
they've just been fired from um, the circus. And so they're looking for a job. Of them. I, feel, I felt like there was a lot. There are a lot of them. You've got the Black Widow, mm-hmm. the big beetle bug. Yeah. Then there's the two roly-poly guys. Uh-huh. Then you've got the praying mantis and the moth. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the ladybug and the stick. And Heimlich, the... And Heimlich, yeah, so that's nine. The worm guy. I would have thought they would have done seven, like seven samurai, but they right. went with nine. I guess it needed to feel like a whole circus troupe. Yeah. So they've just been fired, and they think Flick is a talent agent there to give them another, give them a job, just like the three amigos. Exactly. And... uh so they're excited and they go along for the right, ride. Right when they're down on their luck. Of course, they're also so rushed to get out of there. They just ruined this whole saloon. So they're like, you can tell us the job description on the way. Mm-hmm. And Flick tries to talk to the two little roly-polies, <laughs> but they but don't they're like speak, Russian or something. They don't so. speak the same language as all the other bugs. <laughs> we don't know what language they're speaking, but he thinks he's explained it all clearly, but not so much. The, I think the major difference here among bu- Bugs Life and then three amigos in galaxy quest is that the main character isn't one of the actors yes he's of the people that are being victimized which is very interesting because then he becomes ostracized by his community so like in the other ones well when the three amigos they find out they're actors it's like we'll see you later this time they send flick off too like he's also part of the problem yeah because he knew and didn't tell everybody. And really, he does have to become an actor because he finds out that they're circus performers and he has to put on a performance to try and hide it. You know, he's mm-hmm. trying to do whatever he can to keep anyone else, any of the other ants from finding out because he knows it's going to, he knows drama will ensue when they find out as it does. Once again, we lo- I love when the reveal happens that the actors find, uh, that the circus bugs, that the actors find out that they are not there for why they're supposed to be. And this one's particularly fun because it's like the ants are throwing an Ewok style festival, mm-hmm. like the music and everything. And, and they, and the actors discover, you know, via elementary school mural and little put on play that they <laughs> are supposed right. to be warriors and not actors. And where this this realization happened at the halfway point in Three Amigos, uh, this one hap- in Bug's Life happens at about 40 minutes. So it doesn't take as as long. 40 minutes is like still only a third of the way through or something like that. So um, it happens earlier in A Bug's Life where they have that realization. But where in Three Amigos, everyone find out, found out at the same time. Villagers, actors, everyone knew the truth all at once. Yes. And this one... The drama, there's more drama to it. Yeah, the the actors find out first, and then Flick slowly finds out. I think he finds out pretty soon after. I love that in both of these, the day is saved by acting. Um, well, even a little bit in Galaxy Quest, and we'll get to that, but in The Three Amigos, they're all acting as the Amigos at the end, right? Um, so ultimately, acting saves the day, even though it's what has caused all the problems up to that point. Right. In Bug's Life, it's the same thing where... Um, acting has caused a lot of the drama they're acting to be a distraction and they have they make the big giant bird which is just this big edifice to acting and distraction and performance that that's what saves the day and because hopper thinks that the real bird is the fake bird at the end and that's what gets him eaten yes but you have to point out that flick these are all his ideas right so he's the mastermind behind the actors so he's the director yes there you go (laughs) He's the director. I wanted to point out that 
when the... Because this is a little bit different from the Three Amigos. Three Amigos find out and they leave, but I'm trying to remember why they decide to stay and help. In Bug's Life? No, in Three Amigos. Um, it's not until they realize that Carmen's been kidnapped. That's so there is right. a bit of a damsel in distress situation going on, which is another not great thing about 80s movies. But um, okay. yeah, so I think so, it's that point. Here's a similarity between Bugs Life and Galaxy Quest is that after, um, so the bugs help save Dot. Dot gets, the bird's attacking. I can't remember how she gets into that situation. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, because Flick's leaving and she's trying to follow Flick. Oh, yeah, yeah. And anyway, so she gets caught up with the birds and then the bugs who are trying to leave because they've found out that this is not an acting job and Flick is pursuing them because he's trying to stop them and make them stay um anyways they save they all save dot and the circus receives so much the actors they receive so much applause that they've never gotten before because their circus act was always a complete bust and so even the the praying mantis like points out he's like that's the sound of applause you know (laughs) (laughs) a standing ovation because it's rare to them they haven't felt it and so they stay because they feel the accolades of what they've done they get the energy from the from the audience yes and which is very much like galaxy quest where they're kind of all washed up actors in a lot of ways like they had these really famous roles but now that those are over they're not really doing anything new and so for them to be idolized in a new way by new uh, you know a new group aliens mm-hmm. um that's really what sticks or at least keeps jason nesbit yeah. around nesmith i just want to say nesbit <laughs> right maybe that was intentional <laughs> to sound like what he says in toy story yes i'm mrs nesbit anyways so i thought that was an interesting similarity between the two that it's the applause and the accolades that keep them there for longer until their cover is blown by P.T. Flea, who has decided that they can become a, more of a comedic show and light <laughs> him on fire every night <laughs> and then take a night off and then do it again. Yeah. And he burns the bird, the fake bird. Yes. Because of that. Which is pretty brave of him because he was like wanting to save right. his crew. He didn't know. He didn't know the act. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's funny. Um, at one point when the, the circus troupe is first introduced to their first, they first go to the ant colony and Slim uh, tells Heimlich, uh, wow, they sure are starred for entertainment. That's a line that they use in Three Amigos as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. So clearly they knew what they were, you know, they knew that there's this, uh, this through line That's through all these movies yeah. Yeah, of these actors playing actors. So. Write it in a new new way. Make them all bugs this time. Make them go off to aliens like in Galaxy Quest. I don't even know how to talk about Galaxy Quest because this movie makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you love something so much and you're just worried that you can't quite express why? And Like w- us on the John Williams episode. Yeah. This music's just so good. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> I love, love, love Galaxy Quest. It's like my ultimate comfort movie and it always makes me so happy and i watch it multiple times a year and it never fails to make me happy and it's aged well for the most part um yeah we were talking about that because it did quite a few practical effects not even like that but i meant like in the way that three amigos hasn't aged well like from a more moral politically correct standpoint yes galaxy quest does a little bit better 
Um, but yes, so Stan Winston. Which, to be fair, 80s versus, right. what was it, 99? 99. So. That's still 21 years ago. Can you believe that? <laughs> you're old. You're practically as old as Mandy Moore. Yeah, well, you're closer. To Mandy Patinkin? Yes, that too. <laughs> He's probably in his 50s by now. I bet 60s. 60s? Yeah. Um, I don't remember what we were saying. Oh, um, just you were saying practically it's aged well. Yes. Yeah. Because like, uh, so Stan Winston and his group did the, all the practical effects, the creature effects. And they're, they didn't like, they did Jurassic Park and countless other amazing See, movies. They had a good and crew. so, um, and this is, you know, six years after that. So Which I feel like so many people haven't seen Galaxy's Quest. Yeah. But it's so like, good. I want to say if we spoiled Three Amigos, it's not a big deal. And you've probably seen Bugs Li- A Bug's Life, but. Right. You really need to watch Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Rent it, buy it, do something. <laughs> Pause here. Go see it. Yeah, because we're going to spoil it. And then we're going to talk about it. Um, but I adore this movie. I I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I remember my parents renting it or buying it. I think my parents had seen it in theaters and they loved it. And so when it came out on, it's probably one of the first DVDs that we had. In fact, talking this about first. one firsts, of my dad's favorite movies. That's, that's weird, but... <laughs> You and he actually sometimes have similar tastes when it comes to like Mission Impossible movies and like he loves, you know, James Bond and uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Like he has a few overlapping. I don't really areas. like Tim Allen, but I like him in this because um, I don't know. His character is supposed to not be great. And so it's fine and it works. And he he plays William Shatner very well, I think. But I was going to say something. Oh, I was I was talking as I was thinking about one of the first dvds this movie was one of the first movies to have its own website really yeah, on the world wide web galaxyquest.com it doesn't you can't find it now you could probably find other sites talking about it but the site was set up to look like it was a galaxy quest fan site for the tv show oh that's fantastic yeah so they would have like badly rendered photos that looked like they were taken at the convention and <laughs> um they would show like behind the scenes photos of the movie but as if it was for the tv show mm-hmm. that kind of stuff which is so great and like it was meant to look like bad HTML and stuff. I'd like to find a, a screen grab of, of that old website. That's wonderful. Yeah. But so synopsis. Do you want to tell the synopsis of this one? Can I do it justice? Sure. Yeah. I believe in you. So we start out at the convention. Yeah. And well, the film starts with the like TV show. First one yes. of two parter that we never saw the second part. Yes. You go in knowing that these guys are famous for their space action tv show very much like star trek yeah it's clearly a, a spoof on star, star trek immediately just the mm-hmm. way the the ship crew and and um, bridge is set up exactly. you know what this is going to be a star trek spoof so then you come to a convention center in california of course basically a comic-con and they have the actors you know waiting backstage and they're waiting for Jason Nes- Nesmith, which is hard to say, Nesmith, <laughs> uh, because he's late. And he's the one who plays the, you know, Captain Kirk of the group. What do they call it? The captain? Well, I know. They call him, he's Commander, isn't he? Commander. Oh, yeah. what's Commander his? Taggart. T- Commander Taggart. And this Peter one's a lot Quincy of fun. Taggart. This one's a lot of fun because they, you've, like, you know them as Tim Allen, but yeah. then he's playing jason nesmith who is playing peter quincy taggart because in in three amigos they were going with like the silent film thing where their actor name they didn't really have character names they were just actor and character were the same thing yes Um, and and same with a bug's life but here Mm -hmm. yeah they're 
You get the layers. Layers, yeah. Effect. And clearly, this is something that he does all the time: is show up super late, take gigs without the rest of the crew. Like he clearly he sees himself as the most important part yeah. of the group. And the rest of the crew really struggles with him. They find him annoying and um, self-centered, which he is. Mm-hmm. And and well, the thing that I love about Galaxy Quest. Um, compared to the others is um, like three amigos the three amigos are relatively the same all three of them are kind of selfish um, maybe martin short a little bit less so um, but there's not as much complexity to the characters here but with galaxy quest we've got this whole crew and each of them have a different relationship with their character that they've played whether they despise that they've had to play this character or are completely in love with themselves in this character so they're each coming at this um their fame from a different perspective which i love right because jason nesmith is incredibly self-centered like the three amigos yeah but the other characters not so much Mm -hmm. i mean one of them he was a child when he played tommy yeah so when tommy you know was on the show originally he was Probably like 12 or 13. Played by Corbin Blue, pre-high school musical. Yes, that's right. But then they have, you know, an actor, and then he clearly has grown up when he's at all these conventions. And so he's dealing with things as far as like child star standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then we've got our favorite Alan Rickman, who is so sick of being this character. And it's all he's ever been able to be because it really typecast him as this one thing and he's like i you know could have been an actor on the stage kind of a feeling he has these shakespearean aspirations and he's Mm -hmm. his character is very much the spock the sort of second in command the wise counselor i think he's like supposed to be the navigator on the ship um but leonard nimoy felt the same way of being typecast and had that fear and um obviously tim allen is an analog for william shatner and all the whole crew is like that being these um parallels to the star trek characters and actors which is so much fun but um yeah alexander dane who is alan rickman's character is my favorite but also sam rockwell (laughs) fun bit of trivia you mentioned tommy um that actor is actually a few years older than sam rockwell even though it's implied that sam rockwell when he was on the tv show galaxy quest was still kind of an adult Um, oh interesting so yeah so tommy weber he's that actor isn't as young as he's portraying. But anyway, so what happens next? Oh, so they're at the convention center and Jason finally shows up. And so they go out and do their little show on the stage, introduce them, you know, say hi. And then they are signing autographs and in comes a group who Jason thinks is his... Do you think they actually scheduled an appointment with him or is this the first time that he sees them and he just assumes they're the I ones think he that just, is his yeah, group? Yeah, I think he just assumes. So he has a gig to come tomorrow that's like just for him. Yeah. And but in come a group of strange looking humans. Mm-hmm. All Very pale face. Pale skin, black dark hair. hair. Mm-hmm. Dwight's Dwight there. Schrute <laughs> is one of them. In his first <laughs> film role. I didn't realize it was first. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He's kind of a background character. He but. was later in uh, a couple episodes of Star Trek. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember which Star Trek. Uh, Interesting. Because it wouldn't have been Next Generation, but... Right. Um, anyways. I didn't know there still was Star Trek going on in the early 2000s. There's always Star Trek. There's Star Trek now. Really? Yeah. Star Trek Discovery and a Picard show going right now. These are things I did not know existed. But they're on CBS's dumb exclusive streaming service, mm. so I'll never get to see them. You could pay for it. I don't want to, (laughs) on principle. (laughs) Then yes, you will never see it. I will never see it on principle. 
So after he runs into these, this group that we know later as the Thermians, they come to his house the next day. Oh, Jason's feeling really sad because he went to the bathroom and he's like in one of the stalls and he hear, overhears, this is important, he overhears a couple of other guys, like teenagers who are like, what a bunch of losers and really picking on them, which wouldn't have been so bad, you know, if it was just a generalized thing, but then they're really like, and the commander, you see the way he eats it up. This is like his whole life. Mm-hmm. That kind of, And so then he's like, and that the other crew, the other actors can't stand him, but he can't, can't see, see it. it. Mm-hmm. So them pointing that out really kind of breaks him. Which apparently happened to William Shatner in a bathroom. Really? Yeah. <laughs> as the, as the fable goes, that that's a true, true story. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. As in it broke him too, or he just that he overheard? Oh, I doubt it broke William Shatner. No. I was going to say, it's impenetrable. William Shatner didn't know that this movie was about him. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Can I read? Maybe we'll just break up the, the summary with um, some trivia. Galaxy Quest trivia because yes. I have a lot of Galaxy Quest trivia. I want to hear it all. This is like you and Princess Diaries. Um, <laughs> so like a lot of the Star Trek actors loved Galaxy Quest. Um, so like Patrick Stewart, who played Picard, the great venerable Patrick Stewart, he says, I had originally not wanted to see Galaxy Quest because I had heard that it was making fun of Star Trek. And then Jonathan Frakes, who um, played Riker on Star Trek, he said, Jonathan Frakes rang me up and said, you must not miss this movie. See it on a Saturday night in a full theater. And I did. And of course, I found it was brilliant. Brilliant. No one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did. But the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in that movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles on which the ship worked was absolutely wonderful. That is one of my favorite parts is that the fans are the ones who save the day, really, not the actors. Yeah. <laughs> and then George Takai said he played Sulu, right? And he said, I think it's a chillingly realistic documentary. Laughs. The detail, the details in it, I recognized every one of them. It is a powerful piece of documentary filmmaking. And I do believe that when we get kidnapped by aliens, it's going to be the genuine, true Star Trek fans who will save the day. I was rolling in the aisles. And Tim Allen had that Shatner-esque swagger down pat. And I roared when the shirt came off and Sigourney rolls her eyes and says, there goes that shirt again. How often did we hear that on the set? So there's these kinds of quotes from the Star Trek actors, right? <laughs> and then here's what William Shatner said. Okay. Maybe he was being facetious but i i don't know he says i thought it was very funny and i thought the audience that they portrayed was totally real but the actors that they were pretending to be were totally unrecognizable certainly i don't know what tim allen was doing he seemed to be the head of a group of actors and for the life of me i was trying to to understand who he was imitating so william shatner didn't know that galaxy quest was (laughs) parodying himself right (laughs) i don't know but if you know anything about william shatner it's not like a stretch to think that maybe he didn't realize that Tim Allen was trying to play himself. Oh, that's so funny. So. (laughs) I love it so much. Yeah. William Shatner's like, I don't know. It clearly wasn't me because I'm nothing like that. Right. Unrecognizable, (laughs) as he says. (laughs) And yet on sets, like people did not get along with William Shatner on the original Star Trek. So. Interesting. Yeah. He just didn't get to go through the same growth that Tim Allen's jason okay. smith did well he needs some aliens to come pick him right. up he needs it to be real he needs to go with some thermians yeah. so which just Allen. makes me think of lobster thermidor all the time like i'm thinking <laughs> batman batman lego batman's gonna show up <laughs> i want some lobster thermidor these thermians so which makes sense i think i don't know what therm i don't know it's not like a temperature anyways i was thinking because they turn into like sea creature like mm. kind of octopus looking things yeah is their natural state so i was wondering if there was some kind of a sea relation to the word therm 
to that I don't think route. they gave a lot of thought to the names. Like Grabthar's hammer was just a placeholder in the script <laughs> because they thought it was kind of silly, but they thought it wouldn't work and be it would be too silly. Right. Because there's all this back and forth between the script was it too serious or too funny. And some people weren't happy with the final cut that it was um, more comedic and family friendly than they wanted. Like mm. you can clearly tell that they were going for a different rating originally. Oh, there's interesting. those two scenes at least where you watch the actors mouths and they're clearly saying something else than what the dubbed dialogue is. Oh, I've totally missed that. I don't know where they are. So Gorney Weaver, when she says, well, screw that. Oh. <laughs> you've never watched her lips? No. I thought that's why you laugh every time. No. She even gave a bad reading on the dub because she didn't like that she had to overdub it because apparently the, the real swear right there uh, worked really well with audiences. And so mm-hmm. they were upset that they were kind of uh, toning down the movie to make it a little more family friendly. friendly yeah um it had to compete with the rugrats movie so they <laughs> they made it a little more year, family huh? friendly to get that pg rating some said he was even r like r rating and then they got down to pg-13 and they kept going to pg so that would uh, be a lot of cuts to go from r to pg yeah like when the ship crashes at the end mm-hmm. um into the convention center yeah apparently some fans get decapitated in or that was a plan i don't know if it was filmed but <laughs> Be like real dark comedy. Yeah. yeah, like there was some dark stuff apparently. I like I like the way it ended up. But I, I can like see why too. if you're involved and you have a different idea and it changes why you would be right. upset by that. But I, I really like it as it stands. Yeah, it's um what's his name is Jack Kelly all over again. Yeah. He didn't know it was gonna be a musical. Right, exactly. <laughs> they didn't know it was gonna be a comedy. Um apparently Alan Rickman, he's not really a fan of sci fi, but he loved the script so much from a comedic standpoint. Um and he really loves comedy and he was worried himself about being typecast because he often played villains yes. um and so he thought this was a perfect opportunity and he's so good in this movie he really is the best part yeah. <laughs> he's one of those that he can do anything yeah but it's hard once you get cast as a certain role for a certain yeah. amount of time he's either the english gentleman or he's the villain or he yeah, yeah. well and sam rockwell had similar fears he he didn't want to, he really was re- interested in being a serious actor, which Sam Rockwell is mostly known for serious stuff. Um, and he didn't want to um, sully that possibility, but he was sort of convinced by his actor friends to do the script, to do the movie anyways. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh man, Sam Rockwell. He's one of the best parts too. This, yeah. It's Sam, it's always, I go back and forth every scene with Sam Rockwell and, and Alan Rickman. I'm like, I don't know which one's my favorite because mm-hmm. I adore them so, so much. His delivery on everything's just bad. Jazzed about being on the show, man. <laughs> Is there air? You don't know. That's my favorite line in all of cinema. It's because, because of, of his delivery. delivery. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So. Then... <laughs> seems okay. Seems okay. <laughs> so Tony Shalhoub, who plays friend Quan, mm-hmm. he he auditioned for Sam Rockwell's role for the Guy Fliegman role. Interesting. Um, but it wasn't quite right. But they so they put him in for Fred Quan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyways. Where were we on the synopsis? They so they've kidnapped they, Tim Allen basically, but they came with a limo, so yeah. he doesn't think he's being kidnapped. He's off to a gig, mm-hmm. and then they beam him up, and he so he thinks that he's there for an acting gig, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Whoa, this is you guys did good with these like sets that you've right." Created. And he doesn't know at first because when they he falls asleep, and so then they just like wake him up on set, and it's not even like an acting gig, but like a he thinks it's like a fan recreation of. The Galaxy yes. Quest ship, which it actually is, but um, he thinks <laughs> it's like a 
human earth, you know, in somebody's basement recreation of the ship mm -hmm. and that they're just um, kind of playing and, and he's supposed to act like the commander and then the fans get kicks and giggles out of it. Right. And because he's upset and hungover at this point, he does not give it his best show. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even get dressed up as yeah. commander. He's just like, yeah, let's just shoot, send all the lasers over to Ceres. We meet our villain. Who himself looks like a lobster a little bit. A lobster slash grasshopper. He looks like the grasshoppers True. on Bugs Life. Yeah. What's interesting here is uh, it's very similar to the Three Amigos scenes. When, when the Three Amigos first meet the bandits and they're circling the bandits, shooting their blanks into the air. and ah, Yes. Ah, and they, they think that they're putting on a big show. It's the same thing here. Where, right. He essentially thinks he's shooting blanks yeah. when he says, send the laser, yeah. you know, the right cannons, left cannons, full, yeah. and whatever he, they say. So then he leaves out the corridor and the Thermians are like, hey, uh, we're kind of worried that that wasn't enough. He's like, oh, I'm sure they'll be fine. Call me if you need help again. And right. um, so he's not treating it seriously. And it has dangerous repercussions that Saris, you know, is going to kill more Thermians because of that. Just like the bandits and three amigos are going to come and terrorize the villagers some more and burn down the village. It's very very similar right the villagers the communities they have real risks that the actors themselves are privileged to just step away from and be like well that's not my problem so tim allen gets beamed home this time he's awake so now he knows that that was all real yeah so he finds the rest of the crew um at a, a supermarket oh no it's a, a tech tech, tech store. superstore yeah, yeah like a, a best buy basically and uh by grabthaw's hammer what a savings <laughs> uh, my second favorite line <laughs> and uh so he tells them and they're like no what are you talking about and they're like oh wait is he just talking about a gig an acting gig so they agree to go with him back to the ship but they all get they get beamed up jellified <laughs> yeah whatever it might be and so they are and he's quick because he liked the accolades he liked that it's real life this time mm-hmm Without thinking of the actual repercussions of what he's done, he's just excited to not be seen as like a fake or a phony, washed up, yeah. a washed up actor. He's excited to be seen as the commander and to really yeah. get to live out the role that he had played that he's been so hung up yeah. on for so long. So he's quick to tell the others to just play along the dist the historical documents, yeah, the TV show, right? So we we didn't mention that documents. the aliens think that. Yes. That's so they've important. been they've received the reason that they came to get Tim Allen and the crew is because they've received through space the what they think are historical documents, a documentary of this great crew that has fought for justice in the galaxy, but it's just a TV show. Um because they have no concept of acting or lies or, or make believe yeah. fiction um that's foreign to their culture. And they even get to the point where, you know, um, What's her name? Mm, Mathazar? What? Oh, no, oh yeah. The, the one female on the Laliari? crew. Oh, not on Mathazar's crew. On oh, the, oh, Sigourney Weaver's crew? Yeah, Sigourney Gwen, Weaver. Gwen, Gwen DeMarco. Yeah. That's right. Even Gwen's, because they have received all of Earth's like TV shows, basically. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, I mean, surely you guys don't think that Gilligan's Island is a historical document. Oh, those poor people. <laughs> And so they are such a naive or, or innocent culture that they just don't understand. Yeah. And so these are historical documents to them. And he, he being uh, Jason, he loves the praise and so much that he's like, come on, guys, we're going to do this. Yeah. 
Well, that's interesting is this is the 25 minute mark. This is very early in the film and they immediately know that this isn't an acting gig. So this happens much sooner than in both Bugs Life or Three Amigos that they realize this isn't acting. This is real. We're in real danger here. But like Bugs Life, they don't tell the crew. They don't let the crew know that we're not warriors. We're just actors. So they decide to go along with it. Um, they keep trying to play along. Yeah. But it, the first failing happens when poor Tommy has to steer the ship <laughs> out of the hangar bay. And clearly he's never steered a real ship. So when do the actors decide, Casey, that they have had enough? It's too much. They got to go home. Well, they see on video the old commander of the the alien commander being tortured by Saris. And they're like, nope, we're going to bounce. No way. Mm-hmm. But it's too late. Saris shows up. Yeah. So they're forced to Saris head to the bridge. And they their ship's damaged. So they have to go get the beryllium sphere. But even before that, I think it's interesting that they automatically take position on the bridge um, based on their characters. And their whole all of their arcs are based on their characters. That the, the movie is, they've played these characters and now they have to inhabit them. And in order to inhabit them, they they have to remember and learn how to be that character but that first time they fail right the, every every single one of them fails on as they're being chased by Ceres through space like mm-hmm. um uh alexander dane navigates them into a minefield and then of course tommy can't pilot through the minefield because he he can't fly the ship very well because it was fake and jason isn't being a good commander and communicating well and that affects sigourney weaver's character because she doesn't understand what he's trying to communicate when he's telling her to turn off the microphone Right. So they're all failing at the thing that they're supposed to be good at. And so that's kind of the start of the the main part of the story is them going on this character arc of of literally becoming like the characters they were on the TV show. Because as we learned in Three Amigos, you have to become it to be able to save the day. Yeah, same thing. I was thinking that it's when they start to fall into their roles, just like the Amigos, that it's kind of like life imitating art. Mm-hmm. They have to become their characters. Like I said, they fail at that first um, that first chase scene. Mm-hmm. But they've also been failing before that at being the good parts of their character. Like Jason, as the leader of Galaxy Quest show, is kind of supposed to be a little bit the leader of this group of actors. But obviously he's been terrible at that. And Right. He's supposed to be more selfless. They even yeah. put a point, a line in at the convention where he, the there's a young fan asking him, how do you make the choice between this and, and your crew? And he's like, well, I got to save my crew. Without a crew, I'm not a commander. Yeah. But he's very quick in his real life to go on gigs without them. True. And yeah. to do things without his crew. Yeah. And, and then still pretend to be the commander. And then you have Alexander Dane, who's supposed to be this good friend, the best friend of Jason Nez- or of um, Commander Taggart. Mm-hmm. But Dane doesn't want anything to do with. Yeah, they can't with, stand with, each other. With um, Nesmith. Like they're the probably the biggest contention is between those two yeah alexander says when they're on the ship with the thermians and they're kind of trying to decide whether to keep going or or stop and he says he's where he's talking about uh, jason he's saying he's wearing a costume not a uniform he's no more equipped to lead us than you are he's talking to sam rockwell at the time yeah 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 i, I love that that they yeah they've fallen into those same roles but he's he's smart enough to realize, Hey, we don't have to do this. Like any of us could be the leader. Any of us could be the person that's piloting it. And they've lived this TV show so long that they think that it's, they've already kind of thought that it's real in a way in terms of their personality. Like, um, I mentioned how 
all of these actors have different relationships with their roles. Guy Fliegman, Sam Rockwell's character, his relationship is that he assumes he's going to die because he died on the show. He was just a red shirt. And, and so even the other characters start treating him that way. Like Gwen says at one point, quick, we got to get out of here. Those creatures are going to kill Guy. <laughs> yes, like, they, they, all assume, they all assume that they have the plot armor, you know, of the main characters. <laughs> yes. They're all going to be safe. Same with the, the thing with it. Is there air? They didn't even think about, well, maybe there's not air because they have that plot armor. Um, they just walk out on yeah. planet and they're fine. Yeah, yeah. Because they're not Guy. They're not the red shirt. So they're not going to die. <laughs> not concerned but i know there's so many good layers like that to this yeah. movie which i'd heard sorry did you no, no, go for it which I'd, i i hadn't realized this but in looking up trivia someone had mentioned that at the end when saris is going through the bridge and shooting and killing everyone before they go back in time um for 13 seconds but it's really a minute um <laughs> did you time it no someone else said that, that <laughs> okay that it wasn't actually 13 seconds but i mean they didn't know what the omega 13 did so it could have just been it went back in time a minute true um but guy fliegman's character is the only one that's not shot everyone else is shot and dying or dead but guy fliegman's doesn't he does not get shot <laughs> so he's ultimately the least red shirty of them all <laughs> that's yeah. funny i didn't realize that i do um back to that that idea of them realizing well at least alexander realizes we don't have to play the same characters we could do other things like anyone could be the leader I would have been, I, I love the movie as it is, but it really would have been interesting if they had played with that idea, if someone else had become the leader or. Um, right. I don't know if the Thermians would have allowed it because they. That's true. They still thought they were. They still have them shoehorned in their very specific roles because to them, they're not roles. They are just, it is what it is. Historical documents. When we're talking about each of their characters. We we're talking about how the um, Three Amigos doesn't do a lot of like the female things very well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, it's not a very feminist movie there yeah and you could see gwen's character in the show itself in what is the name of it i guess the show is called galaxy quest (laughs) so in the show galaxy quest not the movie galaxy quest (laughs) in the show galaxy quest um gwen's character what's her character's name um lieutenant tawny madison i believe yeah way to go i think that sounds right so the lieutenant her character is basically she repeats the computer uh, which is a very sexist you know trope that there's nothing else she can really do to help out on on ship but you've got gwen who says she's kind of falling into that character and she's like oh man i'm doing it i'm repeating the computer (laughs) and then later when somebody else kind of points it out she's like look i have one job to do it's stupid but i'm gonna do it so she realizes the sexist nature of her original character which hopefully when they rebooted the show they give her more of a character i hope so i I was gonna say i i feel like the movie doesn't do enough with her no because it comments on that the the sexism Mm -hmm. of of science fiction of female characters in science fiction of um the fans and journalists only focusing on like asking sexist questions um and and her job being pretty much pointless and she's just there for the the male gaze and so i appreciate that they're commenting on that but at the same time the movie doesn't really do anything different with her like right by the end her her costume's kind of ripped open to reveal mm-hmm. more and she's just there to be following along with with tim allen's character like it doesn't really yes. she doesn't have the same arc of becoming her character in the same way that tim allen becomes more selfless and alexander mm-hmm. dane becomes a better friend and and counselor and and Tommy becomes a better pilot. Like, what does she become? Like, she was already repeating the ship's 
thing you know like exactly um so i kind of wish the movie would have done Done more more. and i understand Mm -hmm. 99 it wasn't i don't know they were ready to comment on it but they weren't ready (laughs) to to, fix it to actually do anything about it you know right such slow progress we make (laughs) in hollywood and the world in general yeah so at the in this movie it's at the two-thirds point where the aliens mathazar and the aliens realize that they are actors to and, be fair, they tried to tell them earlier, mm-hmm. but they had no concept of acting and they would have, they weren't sure how to like really, and I don't think they really wanted to destroy their image in their eyes. They would have had to have been like, no, look, we're lying. We're like Saris. We're the worst. Yeah. And they weren't ready to go that far. They wanted to tell them that they were actors. Yeah, that's true. But they didn't want to go so far as to be like, we're scum of the earth. Because well, that's to... all they could understand. Yeah. Is Saris or Honest. Like those were their two gauges. It's like the line from Paddington too. Actors are the most evil vile people on the planet or whatever yes. whatever she says exactly <laughs> but right after that point so they've they've told mathazar mathazar has found out and then saracen has sends his goons to release the crew out into space and i love that here is the point where acting saves them they are about to get shot out into space and they decide to start acting p- pretend that they're fighting each other uh, tim allen and alan rickman and then that kind of causes enough of a distraction that they can get the goons and get the upper um, hand. Yeah. And uh, sort of be free in the ship to do what needs to be done up to the climax. Which for two characters who are two actors who never really understand each other up to this point, they finally learn to work together. Mm-hmm. Like they pick up on each other's clues that like we're doing a fake fight scene to yeah. save the day here. It's like that idea that even if you work in close proximity or live in close proximity to someone that you don't really like that much, you're still going to start to speak the same language or still going to be able to communicate with each other on a, on a deeper level than an acquaintance. A unique thing to Galaxy Quest is that they bring in outside expert opinion advice to help them. Yeah. Basically, the moral of the movie is your nerdy pursuits will pay off. Exactly. <laughs> You too could save the day. You learn everything you can about a fictional spaceship. Someday that knowledge will come in handy. Exactly. So you've got good old Brandon and his friends who we met earlier at the convention center, but were kind of brushed off by Jason because he was post finding out that he's a loser. And they were scene. asking very technical questions about the spaceship. That, And he's like, it's just a show, dudes. Mm-hmm. And then we see them again at the opening to the tech store. And they accidentally bump into each other and they switch communication devices. So this is how he knows that he can call him. Because he knows that Brandon's going to be sitting in his room somewhere near that communication <laughs> device. Because he's Which a he nerd. <laughs> and then he'll be sitting there working on a model of the spaceship and know exactly how to help him <laughs> save the day. Which he does. So Brandon and he calls up his buddies and they all have the schematics for the inside of the protector. And so they can sort of guide Jason through the ship to get to the Omega-13. Uh, well, they're actually going to shut down the the core implosion that Saris has, has started. Set off, yes. Um, but they have to pass through the Omega-13 to get there. So yeah, it's their knowledge of the the blueprints of the protector that, uh, that saves the day. And I love that each of the nerds have a special skill set. Like Brandon's like, well, let me get so-and-so on the line. He knows this stuff better than anybody. And so they have their, they're already in like a, a neat, I don't know how to say that word. Niche? Niche. niche. It's a niece. Yes. <laughs> I have a niche. world reference for you. You mean niece? <laughs> <laughs> 
um, together. They are already in a very specific niche of fandom for Galaxy Quest. But even within that niche, they get so much more nerdy. Yeah. Like super specific knowledge that nobody really needs to know for their everyday life. Like the little bespe- the little bespectacled kid. He has mm-hmm. the timing down for the chompers that make no sense that they need to get past. Right. He like has the rhythm <laughs> recorded somewhere for some reason. Well, it does show him like watching the old one. So I think he's recording right then, but still. Pretty impressive. Deep cut knowledge here that they have of Galaxy Quest. I wanted to talk about nerd culture for a second because this came out it's important to know when this came out this came out in 1999 this was before comic con was a huge thing like they had star trek conventions comic con existed but it was still mostly a comic convention and i think this movie predicted a lot of things the rise of nerd culture and how nerds kind of took over the world in terms of pop culture um and 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 the way they brought things back yeah Like, they had the effect to bring back the Galaxy Quest. I mean, Star Wars started back up. Like, there are all these things that have brought back by popular demand by these people who love their fandom. That's what happened with Firefly and Serenity. Firefly went off the air. The fans signed, you know, signed tons of petitions, and then they made a movie, Serenity. Exactly. Um, It happened with Arrested Development. There's quite a few shows that Mm -hmm. had, like, very grassroots fan fan involvement to, to bring these things back. Because nerds do serve, save the day. You know, it's a fun fact. Um, they mention that, you know, at the end they say, Galaxy Quest after 18 years off the air, it's back. That gap of 18 years was the same between Star Trek, the original series, and Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> um, so that's fun. So it fun hasn't always been going. Yeah. No, it hasn't always. No. But, but there have been other 18-year gaps it in back. Star Trek. Yeah. It's weird. That 18 years is significant in Star Trek. Interesting. More than once. You know. Just enough time to reboot something. That's the yeah. That's the key. 18 years. Could probably find other similarities. 18 years between Superman movies or Batman movies. Maybe it's all of them, Casey. Every every franchise yeah, is 18 exactly. years. That's the key number of years when you're ready to reboot something. Even the 10 years between Revenge of the Sith and Force Awakens was actually 18 years? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. It's canon. <laughs> Life canon, also known as history. I love, yes. <laughs> I like you. I love I love that the, the movie is bookended by the convention and that it starts in reality and it kind of gets into the, the science fiction of it, right? But then it the science fiction breaks into the real world by the ship literally breaking into the convention center, mm-hmm. which I love. That's all great. I was just also having an epiphany about ring theory because oh, okay. if you look at both ends... Chiasmus. Yes. If you look at both ends, they are on their show, and then the convention True. center, mm-hmm. and then... There you go. Like, it just can move back to the center there. See, this movie is poetry. It is. Poetry in motion. Yeah. Also known as filmmaking. I love this movie so much. Of the three, if you're going to watch one, yeah, watch definitely Galaxy, Galaxy Easily. Quest. Easily, yeah. But it's hard to find. You have to... Yeah. You can rent it on Amazon Prime. Is that where we... Yes, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. We own the classic DVD. We have the DVD. Where the, I mean, that menu Whew. is a treasure. It's ba- it's probably very similar to what that website was probably. in 1999. It, it's not super great. But it's like, did they make it to make it look like No, a, I think it's just an, it's an just old DVD. Yeah. Valerie, what, posi- like, what would your job be on the bridge? Good question. I don't want to be on the bridge. I want to be a Quan's character. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I want to Down be like, in the engine room, mm-hmm. hugging the Thermians as you fix the beryllium sphere. <laughs> Good job, guys. Yeah. 
Good job. I think I could do Sam Rockwell's. There's a there's a red thingy coming toward the green thingy. Yes. I think we're the green thingy. <laughs> True. That's about my skill level. I could also repeat the computer very well. Um, I'd love to be the pilot. Like if I'm being honest, that would be my job. Like right. I love that. I would. I mean, I've never flown a spaceship, but I'm pretty good at Battlefront too. So. <laughs> so you're shooing. <laughs> For real life space travel. I wouldn't hit the wall like Tommy does. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure I would. <laughs> so, yeah, my uh, my engine room knowledge would rely a lot on the Thermians. <laughs> or I'd be calling up Brandon. <laughs> Just bring Brandon on, on board. Oh, he'd flip his lid. So they were going to make a, a sequel and then it was going to be like a TV show. Mm. But then um, after Alan Rickman died, it kind of threw a wrench in things. So... Last I heard, there was still a possibility. Like, they've never said no. And Oh, so this was, um, like, much later that they were going to do it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because Alan so Rickman only died. 2016. 2016. Um, so it was three years. So it was kind of in development ago. around that point. Because mm. um, they really wanted to, because this is, like, a, a really good comment on nerd culture in 99, but they really wanted to continue to comment on how nerd culture had changed and how right. um, it wasn't all this, always this romantic view of, of stuff that there's... Um, you know, there's gatekeeping and other not great stuff, and they've kind of wanted to explore that and comment on that in in a sequel capacity of some kind. Um, but yeah, Alan Rickman's death kind of upset that that idea. Would have been really interesting. I I hope that they can find a way to do something in that realm because because I'd love to go back to that world, and it wouldn't be the same without Alan Rickman for sure. He's I know that makes it he's so, so much lovely harder. in this. But final thought on Galaxy Quest: it was voted the seventh best Star Trek film by Star Trek fans. So, <laughs> Star Trek fans love this movie enough to it's include fantastic. it on the list of possibilities, and so it, it got seventh. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love when fans can see themselves as sometimes ridiculous, but also wonderful. Also, David Mamet, who is like a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright and writer. Uh-huh. He called Galaxy Quest a perfect film up there with The Godfather. So, <laughs> so I'm not just making company. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm right to have this as one of my top 10 movies. Well, Valerie, should we close this thing out? You can't top Galaxy's Quest, so we might as well move on. Yeah. Do you have any media recommendations? I'm rewatching Rebels. So good. Which is always so good. Hera is queen. Uh, we've been watching Blackish. Oh yeah, that's a good we show. Really like Blackish. Yeah, we're still in season one, I think. But mm-hmm. um, it picks it's... up really fast. Like a lot of times, it's like the pilot, eh, first few episodes. Like it takes a while to, for a lot of shows to warm up. Uh, yeah, especially these network TV comedy. Yeah, but sitcoms, I like this one from the very beginning. It's really good, really funny. So I think that would be my yeah my recommendation. Start Blackish. I agree. It's a great one. Could also rewatch. I've been thinking rewatching the first season of Mandalorian because season two's coming. It's coming. The child is coming. It hasn't been 18 years between season one and two. No. But thank goodness. Yeah. The child would have grown up. Too much. Do you think they'll... Or not enough. Are they continuing at the same... Do you think they're going to pick up right where they left off? I don't know. Or will there be a time gap? I haven't watched the trailer because it's coming out like soon. And I'm like, ah, it'll spoil it. Spoil little things that are cool anyways. End of October? That's still a month away. I I can wait. Such patience. Yeah. Trailer's really good. <laughs> Watch the Dune trailer. That's another media recommendation. Yes. Would you recommend people read Dune and then watch it? Or just go yeah, in? Yeah, but also, well, I guess we don't know when the movie's coming out, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a long movie, or it's kind of a long book, so I guess you might have time. 
I I'm glad think, I read it. But I mean, I think it was really fun to read it. And then seeing the trailer, I was like, oh, I know. Mm-hmm. I know what's going on. But I don't feel like the trailer really spoils anything unless you've, like, you don't know what's happening unless you've read the book. Yeah. But it does just look like an epic world to be thrown into. Mm. So I think not having read the book would also be fun. And just go in and experience it first time, big screen. True. I have the feeling I could like it more than the move, than the book. Um, yeah. I like the book. But if the pacing but, was a little different, yeah. I think, yes. I could agree with that. Yeah. We'll see. Whenever it comes out, the trailer just says coming exclusively to theaters. <laughs> like they're leading you to 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 know that they are not going to release it digitally. So you just have to wait for theaters, but it doesn't say when in theaters. So if you'd like to become a patron of Hello from Outsider, we'd love it too. We always talk about great things in the Discord, and that's the most popular tier is our $3 tier. Just head to patreon.com slash hello from elsewhere. We ask all kinds of fun questions, and people ask us fun questions. You can also do a super shout out. Uh, head to wbne.org. Up in the right top top right corner, there's a little button for super shout outs. If you want us to... When you push the button, <laughs> does it shout at you? Super shout out! No. That needs to be a new feature, like a howler. I'll talk to Tyler about that. You can make your super shout out like a howler via podcast. If you want us to, well, I don't want to like okay, yell Okay, we're not people. negative. Yeah. If you want us to yell happy things at people. Yeah. What's the opposite of a howler? I don't know. <laughs> a super congratulatory letter instead yeah. of a mean one. Anything you want us to say that's nice, unless it's like, I, I guess we could propose for you, but um, I'd rather you do that in person. So I don't know. We're pretty romantic people. Oh, yeah. We could totally keep a straight face while doing that. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> we could at least edit out the laughing to yeah. make it seem like we kept a straight face yeah. while proposing for somebody else. True. We could do that. <laughs> yeah. But really, anything anything you want us to say that's nice. If you want us to congratulate your brother on... A job well done. A job well done. <laughs> great gerb. Or if you want us to promote your business, yeah. your Instagram account, your... Your fledgling podcast, we'll do it. This is an ad space, too. Yeah. Super That's what it's out. for. Yep. We have merch. Just head to teespring.com yeah. slash something slash something. Uh, the link's down in the description because it's a long one. Um, it's not actually teespring.com slash something slash something. Go with the merch. What, what are you... I don't, <laughs> I don't understand you. Um, sometimes... You say things and I'm like, is this a reference or... No, it's just me But it's just you being weird. Yeah. I should know that by now. (laughs) 10 years of you being weird, but... Almost 10 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know, like, dated for longer. This is true. Yeah. And you were weird as we dated. I have been weird from day one when I invited you over to build a pillow fort and watch Lion King. Yeah, but you weren't over there in the pillow fort corner going, merch, (laughs) merch. Like, you weren't doing that. Merch just is a fun word to say. Might be my new favorite. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at elsewhere underscore pod. Our podcast cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. Check him out on Instagram at graphite.vmb. Hello from Elsewhere is a proud member of WBNE. Visit WBNE.org for more fabulous podcasts like Journeying Through Middle Earth with the one and only MC on That's What I'm Talking About or Live Your Broadway Dreams on Sincerely Us or Inhabit a Fantastical D&D World in Late to the Party. In a world not unlike our own. It is a balmy 80 degrees in Miami, Florida. I'm chaotic neutral tiefling monk. I don't recall there being tieflings in Miami. Now you know that hammer toss isn't an actual hammer, right? It is in this universe. Okay. No, it's a, it's a big old it's a big old hammer. It's a big old sledgehammer. <laughs> Where magic and monsters run rampant. 
kind of looks like a bug monster. Oh, Jordan has showed us a diagram of, uh, I think, Red-Eyes Black Dragon from the Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh, my God. Well, I speak Infernal, so I'm going to ask it what the heck it is. A real estate agent. Lily Davis, who sells real estate by day. A football coach. I love you. Don't touch my flowers. A failed actor. I am a former Broadway star. And a teenager. Sunny days, a student in college, crazy, right? Must save the world. And you're waving your clipboard back and forth, and... Do I feel my clipboard connect with something? Yes. Coming March 23rd to WBNE. Late to the party. Well, the protector's pretty damaged and beat up, so we gotta head down to what looks like Goblin Valley, but it's another planet, and find a beryllium sphere. So we gotta, we gotta help... Sam Rockwell and company. Yep. Let's try not to get killed. Let's not be the red shirts. By the miners, not miners. Happy beeps. Happy beeps. <laughs>